it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss. It's been a busy week, uh, which makes it fun. It makes it fun to do this show. I hope you feel the same way. Carly Shimkus uh, will delve into uh, the major stories happening. You know, it's not just about Ukraine, but that is the number one story, especially when the world focuses on NATO, the G7, as well as EU, and the president now touching down in Poland as we speak. So uh, he's going to be there, and I guess he's going to have a surprise visit to the border of Poland and Ukraine, maybe even get to Kiev. If he was younger, I would recommend it. Uh, my goodness, there's no way anyone would be safer uh, because do you really think that Vladimir Putin would allow an American president to get shelled? Uh, Morgan Ortegas, uh, fresh off her stint with Mike Pompeo, will be joining us. She's also running for Congress. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The United States, together with our international partners, we're going to work to ensure an additional 15, 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas, LNG, for Europe this year. Well, yeah, it's not going to be a game changer, but at least it's an effort. Can you imagine if you got ahead of the game and set up that pipeline through Portugal and throughout Europe? Finally, President Biden announces he'll pump natural gas to Europe as they will stop buying Russian gas, they say, by the end of the year. But my goodness, we do not have that kind of time. Can the industry actually ramp up more and more and get Americans doing what we want to do, and that's drill? Get those pipelines back as the rising gas prices inflicting personal pain around this nation? We'll let you know who the polls say is to blame. Number two. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. What a, what a joke and an embarrassment. President Biden speaks publicly about a run for president again as Republicans' momentum grows to flip the House and Senate as he once again denies publicly what we know is true, that the Russian sanctions were intended to deter and they failed, and you just heard his entire staff say exactly the opposite of what he just said. Number one. There's an opportunity to win. Therefore, a statement should have been made. We're going to double down on everything that President Zelensky needs, and we're going to speed up, speed it up, and put it on fast forward. We've got to take advantage of the opportunity that Zelensky's army has provided. General Jack Keane, win. How about that? NATO, EU, G7 huddle to squeeze Russia, but are they doing enough? I'll share the details as we know what now, what President Zelensky cites as his frustration with constant delays and indecision on receiving the aid that will keep him and his country alive and their ability to, yes, win. So I I was uh, struck by this. So, you know, usually we see President Zelensky's remarks, but when he had a closed-door session with with NATO, I thought it was something to do with security. You know what it really has to do with? Uh, I think it has to do with the fact that he knows he's not getting what he asked for. He said, can I get tanks? He didn't even ask for a no-fly zone. He goes, can I get those jets? Can I get one-tenth of the 20,000 tanks you have? Can I get some 
uh, anti-ship rockets, missiles, which we know as harpoons. Where are they? What about everything that you promised? Am I going to get any of it? And you see that he is frustrated by it. And he went on to say, hey, you Baltic nations, I know you feel secure because of Article 5. But I felt secure in the Budapest Agreement in 1994 that said Russia and the U.S. were going to secure our security. And look where I am right now. That, to me, is inexcusable. I like we're putting sanctions on them. I don't like the fact that these, these European countries are still providing money for Russia to fund their war. And they say, according to Zelensky, he says, I looked at the reports, Russia is pumping more oil now than they were before the war started. So where exactly is my help? Says the U.S. sanctions are targeting 300 members of the Russian Duma. Okay, 40 Russian defense companies. Leaders want to limit uh, Russia's ability to use its gold stash to prop up its currency. So they're going to go hit that. Uh, I'm not sure how, but I like the fact that they're thinking that creatively. Um, So far, they say gold makes up 20 percent of their reserves. So they got reserves in the bank as opposed to uh, their ruble. So let these big uh, let these big financial minds come up with something. But this is what Zelensky asked for. He said, "Can I have twenty thousand? You have twenty thousand tanks. Could I have one percent of that?" You have the worst thing is nothing is a clear answer. We've been asking for help. I paraphrase, and you don't even say no or yes. It's not clear. And they're asking the Baltic nations to feel secure. He goes, "You should not feel secure." And I totally believe what Zelensky's saying. I'm I'm fighting this war now, but you all are going to be in it soon unless. You make sure we survive and win. So the president of the United States has just landed. We just watched this plane land there, uh, a plane land over in Poland, and we'll, we'll see what he does. And I want everybody to understand that I don't want you to tell me exactly what's getting in and when it's getting in. But the fact is he says he does not have missile defense systems. Where's the S-300s? You promised them weeks ago. Where are they? I just saw in the U.K. 7,000 more rockets for Ukraine, are they getting in? So I talked to Joni Ernst, the senator from Iowa. She was just on the couch on Fox and Friends. And I said, what did you find when you were in Poland last week? He says, we have the aid. It's there. But it's coming in at a trickle. What? At a trickle? Incredibly disheartening. And plus the president saying stuff that just absolutely makes no sense. Uh, And we know this. The Russians pretty much telegraph what they're going to do, and they seem to be queuing up chemical weapons, which they seem to have green-lighted uh, in the past in Syria, and Syria's the one that got bombed. They never did. So Joe Biden got asked a question. I guess he ran out of hand-picked questions, and he got a question about uh, what about these sanctions? You know, you say you're putting on more sanctions, but the sanctions have not worked. So here's Joe Biden talking about the sanctions working and not working. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. By the way, how rude. I mean, how many times calls, uh, you know, to our reporter in SOB, says another one, it's a stupid question. And that's a, and by the way, both questions were great. And I would say it sometimes you ask a bad question. I do, you do, but the whole world does. You ask a question, ah, oh, I wish I'd put that better. But both those questions were fine, and that question was fine. Why do you do that? You're playing a game with me, he says. So, and sanctions are put there to deter and to punish. 
And if you listen to the Congress, many are Democrats, they wanted you to put the sanctions together as you threatened to invade before you invaded. So just to show how inaccurate his statement was and how wrong the tone was, here's the vice president, Jake Sullivan, talking about and the president talking about deterrence. Got 20. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. We want them to have a deterrent effect, clearly, and he hasn't invaded yet. We have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Okay. What do, what, what, do I need to even define that further? Do I need to drill down on that to show you exactly what I mean? I mean, if he does believe that, there's a little bit of a problem because nobody else who works for him believes that. And they said the term, the president believes that these this thing happens. So Matt Continenti was on from the Washington Free Beacon, was on a special report last night and says, you got to be kidding me. Got 26. This is why they give Biden a list of reporters to call on, Brett a list that Biden had exhausted, and he was on his way out of that press conference when he called on Christina Ruffini of CBS, who asked that question about deterrence. Biden was caught flat-footed. He was caught trying to reverse-engineer history to grant himself foresight, but he was completely wrong. Look, the sanctions didn't deter because the sanctions weren't imposed. Biden wasn't imposing sanctions prior to the invasion. He was threatening sanctions, and the threat of sanctions wasn't enough to change Vladimir Putin's behavior. To deter someone like Putin, you have to hold at risk something that he values greatly. Putin doesn't care about the economic well-being of Russians. He cares about power. You have to threaten his hold on power. And the only way to do that now, Brett, is to find a way to help the Ukrainians defeat him on the ground. Okay. It's totally true. And and that's the problem. And by the way, I have no idea why they always leave him out there by them by himself. But once in a while, I could see it. But he's always walking by himself, taking questions by himself, ignoring them by himself. He's ignoring more and more questions because he knows he gets himself into trouble. He's got no good answers. Think about this foreign policy. Hey, Russia, would you do me a favor while you invade and chop up another country who are blowing up hospitals and pre-kindergartens? Would you negotiate a deal with another heathen nation, uh, the uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini? Uh, and Iran. Could you find a way? Oh, yeah. And when it comes to nuclear uh, waste, would you take it into your country? Really? That's what he's negotiating, let alone Afghanistan and let alone the intercontinental missile that was just shot off yesterday by the North Koreans first time since 2017. Foreign policy is a flat out disaster. That's where he was supposed to be uh, experienced at the very least. So Joe Biden was asked some other questions in Brussels, Belgium, and was talked about you politically. Makes up to me, referencing another story, more than likely never happened. But was asked about Donald Trump. You know, you have this one policy now. Well, is it going to change if you lose or if you don't run again? Will America change? Cut 52. The first G7 meeting I attended, like the one I did today, was in Great Britain. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And one of, the, one of my counterparts, colleagues, the head of state, said, for how long? For how long? And so I don't blame, I don't, I don't criticize anybody for asking that question. But uh, uh, the next election, I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. Well, how do you feel about that? one 408 7669 Do you think that Trump wins if they do this again? 
I think if without on pure policies, if there was no January 6th and the president handled the loss better, I would say the president head-to-head would be up by about seven points. So I'm going to take a time out right now. I don't want to take too much time away from Morgan. I'm going to ask her that question. She worked for Mike Pompeo, knows the president well. She's now running for Congress, then Carly Shimkus after that. And then we'll open up the phones, one 408 7669 I'll bring you the latest from Ukraine. Also tell you what's happening at our border, bad news coming down the pike, and then see who's better at handling inflation. Well, I wish somebody would show me they at least had a plan. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I have it on excellent sources that for more than a week now, the Biden administration has been putting pressure on President Zelensky to cut a deal. And that is shameful, really shameful. And I'm convinced it's happening. And we gotta get off of that page and get on the page to helping Zelensky win this war and have the resolve to stand up to the threats of WMD that Putin is making. Absolutely, and it turns out, uh, of course, Goliath is hollowed out in Russia and uh, David is fighting. Uh, and just needs some more armaments, and he's not getting them. And I've never heard General Keene so emotional when he heard that, that you actually, not only did you not back the guy, not only did you not believe in the guy, now you want him to quit early and give up half his country. Morgan Ortega's joined us now, former State Department spokesperson and candidate for Tennessee's 5th Congressional District. Morgan, I wanted to get your take on that initially. Do you believe those reports are true? Have you heard the same thing, pressure on Zelensky to cut a deal? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, listen, like you, I've known Jack Keane for a long time, and uh, and I respect him. He's one of America's greatest uh, generals that, that we've had a, a, in our lifetime, for sure. Uh, and why it wouldn't surprise me, Brian, is because if you just look at the behavior of the Biden administration over the past year leading up to the Russian invasion, uh, listen, everything that they tried as it relates to deterrence to from stopping Russia invading Ukraine failed. Um, and so that's why uh, that's why it doesn't surprise me. You know, here's like a, their framework. Like if you take it back to a higher level, how does the how does Biden and his team think about it? Well, listen, they told us we have to allow Nord Stream two, the the gas pipeline. We have to allow that to happen because if not, that that could provoke Russia. That could set them off. Yeah. So they they've taken this approach the whole time is we have to give in to them. We have to give in to the bully because if you give in to the bully, then maybe he won't act like a bully. And I think anybody who uh, has any sort of common sense and uh, has spent two minutes on a playground knows uh, when you give in to the bully, that only perpetuates and and exacerbates their behavior, right? It doesn't mean the bully goes, oh, okay, uh, thanks, Brian. I'm going to stop being a bully now, now that you gave me everything that I want, right? And so this is uh, really simplistic um, human behavior that Biden and his team get wrong because they think that Putin and Xi Jinping and the Ayatollah care what is said about them at cocktail parties in Paris. So uh, this uh, Shoigu, this defense minister, Shoigu, uh, he has disappeared. Yeah. Yesterday he appeared once on a conference TV call. Just They said he had Supposedly. a heart problem. Uh, mm-hmm. They could be on disfavor. And then 
Uh, Garisimo is the military staff chief. Uh, he seems to be MIA. He's been invisible. What's going on in, in Vladimir Putin's inner circle? Well, I wish I was the one who actually knew. Um, listen, I think that one of the problems that you have in, in any sort of authoritarian regime is that it's very hard for bad news to get up, right? Because who wants to be the person to tell Putin, hey, this is actually going pretty badly. You're losing thousands of troops really quickly. We have logistical problems. We have this issue. We have that issue. Um, so, you know, who who wants to be the one holding the bad, the bad telling the dictator that his plans are failing. So I think that there, I think right. that's certainly uh, some of it. Um, it, it. There was a clear, you know, I think in general, Keen has talked about this as too. The thing that, that that's really puzzling for so many of us who watch this, the Russians in Syria over the past eight years or so um, is just the sloppiness from which they conducted um, this, uh, th- this whole execution right. uh, of their war plan on Ukraine. Um, it's been sloppy. It's been half-hearted. Um, and, and it's really just surprising. Now, listen, they certainly have the hard power capability. We all know that we'll we can but- see uh, what they're doing in Maripol today. But none of this should surprise us. You know, people who are surprised by this haven't been paying attention to Gronsky or Syria or anything Putin's done over the past 20 years. So, Morgan, He's I do want to get you. I'm up against a break. Time. I do want to get you what you're doing now. Uh, you're looking okay. to uh, w- you're a congressional candidate in Tennessee's fifth congressional district. And Donald Trump has probably pushed you. He's endorsed you. And they're trying to gerrymander your district out. They don't want you to run the Republican Party. Well, well, yeah, there's some legislation that's going on that would um, create residency and voting requirements on um, all federal candidates um, in Tennessee. And the the case that I've made is, um, listen, President Trump endorsed me uh, for this race. Uh, He knows that I know how to fight. And ultimately, um, this should be left, left up to the voters, right? This is why we have primary elections. And the voters in Tennessee and in our 5th Congressional District, which is here in Middle Tennessee, uh, should be able to have the chance to have a say of uh, of who wins the Republican primary. And so uh, that's the case I'm making. As you know, I worked for President Trump uh, for, for many years, uh, was in the trenches with him on all these foreign policy issues that you and I have talked about for, you know, for a long time when I was working for Fox before I even went to work for, for President Trump. So that's the pitch that I am trying to make um, to, uh, you know, to the voters here in Tennessee, give them the chance to decide, give them the chance to, to see why President Trump endorsed me and why he thinks I'd be the best fighter in this race. Right, yeah. Give it a chance to win. You give it a chance, you will win, Morgan. Nobody's more qualified while serving the country, too. Uh, Morgan Ortegas, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Brian. You got it. Coming up next, Carly Shimkus. We expanded these sanctions, what's happening in Poland, and more. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. In addition... To the 100,000 U.S. forces now stationed in Europe to defend NATO territory, NATO established, as you already know, four new battle groups in Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Slovakia to reinforce the Eastern Front. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And as uh, President Zelensky brought up, hey, Baltic nations, I know you feel good about Article 5, but I felt good about the Baltic Agreement, uh, excuse me, the Budapest Agreement in 1994 when my security was guaranteed. He was probably in uh, high school back then. The security of the nation was guaranteed by the Russians and the Americans and NATO said you're not going to be invaded if you just give up your nuclear arsenal. Kali Shimkus is here. 
And I'll tell you what, when I when I I have a totally different impression of this whole trip and the EU and G7, Carly. After I started reading some excerpts from President Zelensky's speech, he's frustrated. We're not doing anything that we say we're doing. It's not getting there. Well, I think that the Budapest mem- memorandum thing that you just brought up is a really important point. And it, first of all, that's the agreement, like you said, signed in 1994. So uh, Ukraine, which had the third largest, largest nuclear arsenal, had to give it up. And it was signed by the U.S., the U.K., and Russia, right? And now he's saying, I was Ukraine was given security guarantees in exchange for giving up my nuclear weapons. Now I am completely defenseless. So please ramp up the support um, that you uh, have already provided me. And he asked all the NATO nations yesterday to give him 1% of their weapons. And um, although that sounds like a small number, I'm sure in practice it's, it's, a, it's a large number. But his whole position is that if you want to stop Russia, if, you know, everybody's – Biden's really concerned about Russia, which is why he doesn't want to escalate the situation. And then Vladimir Zelensky is saying, listen, if you're concerned about Putin, the best way to stop him, even the threat of him attacking a NATO nation, is by defeating him in Ukraine. So please help me do that. Yeah, Help me help you is right. what he's saying. So, so listen to this. They say you have thousands of fighter jets. We haven't seen any of them yet. 20,000 tanks you guys got. Can I get 1% of that? The worst thing is not having a clear answer. When it comes to getting help, he goes, how do I plan? You, I can't get an answer. And then he went out and challenged the Baltic nations. Do you feel good about Article 5? Does that work for you? Well, I felt good about the Budapest Agreement, so it's important. Also, we announced yesterday that Ukraine uh, has lost about 400,000 of their citizens to Russia, 84,000 of which are children. What do you mean? Well, the Russians have basically said, uh, you're coming with me. They claim these people left voluntarily to be in Russia. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Voluntarily to yeah, go to Russia. To go to Russia, Ukrainians. Mother Russia. Yeah, doubt, uh, highly doubt it. Uh, the one thing that I can, um, you know, you, really, I, I hope, this is my hope, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my hope is that. Uh, there are things that are going on in private that we don't know about. You know, Vladimir Zelensky is coming from a place of he's he's desperate. And he even if those weapons are flowing into his country, he's in a position where he's in an active war. He's always going to ask for more. So maybe he is getting those weapons in his country. Maybe he is getting those missile systems from um, from the U.S. and other NATO nations. And he did say that he wasn't going to talk about it anymore. He wasn't going to say what weapons are coming in and when because he wants to surprise Russia. So my hope is that some of this stuff is going down in private today on the couch tell me when she was in poland they said she was asking the refugees were you guys getting food and were weapons and he says it was a trickle a trickle of food and weapons yes the citizen said this is yeah. i mean that's unacceptable i know find a way yeah i know absolutely and uh you know you feel so bad for the people um in mariupol and you know, all this this conversation about war crimes that's slowly been coming out and President Biden's you know, now declaring Putin a war criminal. I mean, I think it's all symbolic. It's the right thing to do, but it doesn't really mean anything. Obviously, these war crimes right. are happening before our very eyes. What matters is getting the aid and, and ramping it up and getting the food and, and the water to people so they can survive this horrific attack. Here's what uh, General Keene told me this morning about what he's seen right now from Ukraine on the ground. Cut 12. What the Ukrainians are doing is, is nothing short of remarkable. They know the Russians have become defensive to protect themselves and resupply and reinforce. And in doing that, they're conducting counterattacks and retaking towns that were lost. 
pretty significant. It tells you also the, the leadership that the Ukraine military has. Uh, their, their generals have a real feel for war. It's fundamentally a, te a right. test of wills, and they get it. And they know the, the Russian will is broken a little bit. Take advantage of it. And that's why right. they're attacking. Mm. Yeah. I was talking to two Green Berets on Fox and Friends first um, this morning because um, Green Berets helped train Ukrainians after Crimea, after the um, annexation of Crimea in 2014. And one of the reasons why Ukraine has really outkicked its coverage and outperformed is because of that training, uh, that military training that the United States provided them. And then you hear about what's going on in Russia. Russia was supposed to be this incredible fighting force. They even have an academy? I know. And then I was reading this really interesting article about um, the, the one of the reasons why their tanks were uh, stalled. And remember that 40 mile convoy that was just, you know, stuck and couldn't go anywhere. And one of the one of the big speculations is that it's because Russia uses on their tanks cheap Chinese tires that kept on breaking and busting and were stuck in the mud. And apparently they are, you know, there's a lack of maintenance when it comes to their military weaponry. And, and it's just been a total disaster. And the morale, which is a really big deal when you're talking about fighting a war that you don't even believe in, is a huge issue for them, too. Right. Food, water, also massive problem. I just love the fact that the one guy just affected, another guy just disappeared, the architect of this war, and their defense, with their, their akin to their defense minister or secretary, he's disappeared for 11 days. The other guy appeared briefly on a Zoom call or some type of Skype and then disappeared right away. So he's firing people, arresting uh, uh, his new KGB agents. So I obviously there's huge problems and he does not understand that it's all fundamentally his fault because he was have to ask. He actually asked them to implement a program that there was no appetite for the Russians to do, nor are they equipped. I just think that uh, when Mike Pence said this morning was interesting, he's like, I would just create a humanitarian aid uh, uh, overflight and I would just drop food. Maripol is. Yeah, but then what if that plane gets shot down? I know. But let I, them try. I, They're going to shoot no, down. No, I like a your plane. idea better, Brian. You said it with the drones. Yes. Why hasn't that happened? I have no yet? idea. An unmanned drone. So yeah. listen, you. Yeah, those drones are ridiculously expensive. But getting this food and and uh, water to people is is invaluable. They need it. They're yeah. dying. I want I want to bring you to this uh, setting up uh, to uh, twenty twenty two. Right now, you have the Republicans at uh, Ponte Vedra, Florida. They're having their ma massive summit. This is going to be their last pitch in the last seven months to take the House, and they're going to try for the Senate. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but the numbers are leaning heavy their direction, but you need a strategy. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was asked about politics again. Cut 32. The first G7 meeting I attended, like the one I did today, was in Great Britain. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And one of, the, one of my counterparts, colleagues, head of state, said, for how long? For how long? And so I don't blame, I don't, I don't criticize anybody for asking that question. But uh, uh, the next election, I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. That man is Donald Trump. Do you think he wants to run against Trump? I don't. Do you think he's going to run again? <laughs> I think he thinks he is. I, I think that. Do you think he his wife jumps in? People keep saying this. Do you think that's Jill? wrong? Uh, or, or, his wife, Jill. Oh, I didn't. Does Jill like look Trump at him and say well, that's the, in the best interest of him to be president again? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's just there's no way he can run. I mean, if he, what, what, how old will he be? 80, 83, 82? Can well, we get it? Yeah, when yeah, he, I think so. 
I mean, yeah, I just and Trump will be seventy-eight. I just have a feeling he's going to bow out. He'll be—he's he's a one-termer, and uh, but you can't say that. You can't be a lame duck this early in your presidency. But I think that the, well, the reason he was—he made that comment is because that re- ludicrous question that that international reporter asked—it was like you know he had a list. Yeah. He came out. He said, "All right, for in the interest of time, I had they gave me a list of reporters." He, and it's, you know, they were good questions, but they, you know, they were non-controversial. And then the last question he, he got was like, you know, people here are very concerned that your predecessor is going to become the president again. So what can you do to calm those fears? <laughs> it's like, are you joking? I th- right. Like, what kind of question is that when there's a war <laughs> raging in yeah. Europe? That's the that's your one question. You have one shot at asking anything. You mean the guy that the armed pre- the Ukrainians as opposed to the ones yeah, that did? Exactly. And then that's why he said what he said. And then he was he was walking away. And I'm sure his the Biden people were like, OK, good. You know, that was that was a fine press conference. Nothing, nothing really wrong happened. And then President Biden answers one more question, and it was the only question that he just randomly called on. And that reporter had the the question of of the day when it was, you know, about the sanctions and the deterrence. And then for some reason, President Biden gets angry and his his whole attitude towards reporters. Sometimes he goes from sweet to sour in a second. It's weird. I know. Uh, Fifteen. Excuse me. Eighteen. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Right. Here's a little bit more angry Joe. Cut 19. Do you believe the actions today will have an impact on making Russia change course in Ukraine? That's not what I said. You, you're, you're playing a game with me. What? I know. The answer is no. But look, if you're Putin and you think that, the, that Europe is going to crack in a month or six weeks or two months, why not? You, they can take anything for another month, but we have to demonstrate. The reason I asked for the meeting, we have to stay fully, totally, thoroughly united. Yes, yeah, stay united, but what? Do something. Yeah. I don't care if you're together. I want you acting. I don't care if it's just... Just Poland get some arms. Most of the stuff's coming through Poland. Get it done. Yeah. Um, so, so him, him have you playing a game with me? I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> but here's Steve Ratner, Democrat, uh, on MSNBC, thirty. We have to be mindful and somewhat humble about the history of sanctions. We've had sanctions on North Korea since 1950, roughly. We've had sanctions on Cuba since 1960. We've had sanctions on Iran for uh, over 50 years now. And none of those have obviously brought those countries to heal. The record of countries being able to withstand even the toughest sanctions is not a completely successful one from the standpoint of the West and putting on those sanctions, and especially in a situation like this where we're not putting sanctions on all or at the moment, really, any of their exports. True. The energy, they're not touching energy. Okay, yeah. A couple things. First of all, uh, I'm pro-sanction at this point. Mm -hmm. I I feel like that was sort of an anti-sanction comment. No, but sanctions are... Make them suffer. Yeah, uh, absolutely make them suffer. But the whole point was that the, the Biden administration's strategy, and we were told this repeatedly, is that we that s- sanctions, we aren't going to impose them immediately because we are using them as a deterrent. Absolutely. 
They kept on saying, if we impose sanctions now, then Russia is going to say, okay, well, those sanctions are already on us. We might as well invade Ukraine. That that plan didn't work. But but then for President Biden to say, you keep talking about deterrence, reporter. How dare you? I never use the phrase deterrence. That was their whole plan. Absolutely. I do have to say um, it is important for NATO to remain united. And I like that that's happened. And I didn't know that President Biden, that it was his idea to call this meeting. And I th- and that's the leadership that I think I, the, I that, don't know the, if he the did. American. Pre- well, that's what he said. I know. I'm, oh, you're 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 thinking he was a liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm, I'm just saying, like he said, that's why I called this meeting. I, I thought they said NATO was meeting. I did not know that was the first time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. It caught my attention, too. Um, right. So. If he did call the meeting, then good for him. Uh, but this that that whole deterrence thing was super weird for him to get mad at the reporter for just echoing what the Biden administration had told her over the course of the past, you know, three months or whatever. Uh, but it's not it's not atypical. I mean, he doesn't like questioning. He says uh, really rude things. Uh, I mean, most reporters could, could care less. But it's, and you just want him to answer the question. Yeah. So Joe Biden talked about running against Donald Trump. Uh, it would be pretty good if I got a chance to run against him. Maybe not after we heard this. Listen to AOC, cut 35. We need to acknowledge that this isn't just about middle of the road, an increasingly narrow band of, of independent voters. Uh, but this is really about the collapse in support among young people, among the Democratic base, feeling like they are not, that they worked overtime to get this president elected and they aren't necessarily being seen. So mm. he's saying that the Democrats aren't happy with him. Left-wing Democrats aren't happy with him. So don't think that he's doing that well. Yeah. I mean, AOC is nuts. So I, I, there are more Democrats that are moderate than – President Biden should not listen to her is what I'm saying. But he there, does. There, I think that he would have a greater chance of winning again if he does run, if he doesn't listen to what she's saying because – and he is – he has been listening to the progressives, and that's why he's killing the Keystone Pipeline and, you know, uh, given all those those free – the free money leaving for COVID the border wide and open. stuff like that and the eviction moratorium, leaving – exactly, leaving the border wide open because he's afraid to lose those people. Um, and look at what his poll numbers are right now. Right. You know, so, yeah, so she's going to say that. Of course she's going to say that. You cannot – nothing that the, the Biden administration will do will ever be left enough for her. But it's a trap. He his poll numbers will, will go down even more if he keeps on following what she's saying. Yeah, but maybe she's onto something in that Bernie Sanders has disappeared. So he, he knows has. it probably. Yeah, probably. He knows he probably doesn't want to criticize Biden. So what does he do? Evidently, he's trying to get Ro Kahana to run. How do you feel about that? He's not a presidential candidate. Are you kidding? Well, He's a think, nice guy. Do you but... think President Biden is, a, is presidential candidate material? Mm, that's that's a, a really big Very problem, good. though. They, I mean, the bench is... I think that Republicans have a much wider bench when you think about. Um, oh, no question. Yeah, well, there's just the. the um, yeah, uh, Nikki Haley, a governor, uh, Christy Nome, you Ron have DeSantis. Uh, Mike Pompeo. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have a ton of people that are going to. Uh, Ted but, Cruz is going to do it again. No, you can't rule out Marco Rubio trying to run. Uh, Chris Christie will be in there. Yeah. Mm, you don't like that? Okay. Well, no, I mean. Yeah, right. Wait. Yeah, all right. I'm here to support all, everybody. Thank you. You're a very nice person. <laughs> uh, don't forget, uh, you're going to watch One Nation on Saturday night, right? I am. Is that messed up all your plans? Do you eat at 9 or do you go out early Ooh. and eat? Ooh, this is an interesting question. When do I eat dinner? Do you want to answer it in the break? Let's do that. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen... 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So I was all pumped up because I don't really know the measurement on natural gas, like 15 cubic, whatever. And I'm just saying, well, we have decided to provide Europe, Europe with some natural gas, LNG, and to help us, you know, supplement because they're going to gradually get off rushing oil and gas. Mm-hmm. But then when you do actually do the math and what it is, it's like a couple of days. Okay, wait. I'm so gl- I'm so glad that you said that. Okay. Really? Yeah. Why do I? Are you being serious? Yeah. Okay. Because I was talking to Neil Crabtree, uh, who was one of the Keystone XL pipeline workers who lost their job. Right. And every now and then when an oil and gas thing comes up, I'll, I'll send him a message just to get his take on it. And the reason we're talking about this is because President Biden announced um, – in his press conference or his his press statement today with the European Union uh, president that the United States is going to provide 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas to Europe this year. And is that a lot? Well, okay. I don't know. Um, and I was like, well, I've never heard of a cubic meter, a meter of gas. A meter is a length. Yeah. So he said, and I can provide this information to you right now and sound so smart in the process, although it has nothing to do with me. It's a text message I'm reading. Uh, He said that um, you were talking about measuring natural gas in cubic meters. I'll explain a little easier. Just remember when natural gas is put under pressure, it turns into a liquid. So it would be the amount of liquid gas that fits inside a cube that measures one meter. I hope that helps. That's what he said. Did Did it help you? It, not as much as I thought it would. Oh, I, I was excited. Well, like, I was just excited that no, I had I'm that. I'm excited, but but evidently you need a lot more. Yeah, I think that could be the takeaway. <laughs> Although I liked the explanation that. Are we going to be on Fox and Friends first tomorrow? Yes, Fox and Friends first, starting at 5 a.m. Be there or be square. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We talk economics, but economics that reflects on your life, inflation dollars, paycheck to paycheck paying, and, of course, people that got to skip bills with this inflation. This this really uh, affects you personally. So a lot of people, when we give numbers on the economy, they go, well, I'm not really investing in the stock market. Well, I don't really have real estate holdings. I'm not really looking to buy another house. I'm worried about interest rates. And now everybody's talking about it because it affects everything that you buy. It affects how far you drive and where you go and whether you're buying a new car. Steve Moore on all that. And Senator John Cornyn standing by. There's so much impactful to talk about, including an Iranian deal that could drop at any moment today. And it will be terrible for the world, especially us. So uh, from New York, around the country, around the world, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The United States, together with our international partners, we're going to work to ensure an additional 15, 15, 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas, LNG, for Europe this year. Well, we'll see. Finally, President Biden announces he'll pump some more natural gas to Europe. But is that enough? Can the industry ramp up and actually help these uh, European countries get off the pipeline of Russia? We'll talk about that and also uh, the personal pain around the country as we shut down drilling, as we shut down fracking. 
Uh, why is that okay? And will the polls reflect that the American people want energy independence? Number two, the purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. Sanctions never deter. <laughs> you keep talking about that. Yeah, what's Sanctions wrong with you? never deter. Yeah, my staff keeps on talking about it. What is that? I'm not kidding. President Biden speaks publicly about a run for president again as Republicans' momentum grows to flip the House and take the Senate. And once again, the president denies something publicly we know is not true and his own people defy him. They didn't think we were taping them. And the Russian sanctions were intended to deter. That's the whole point of the sanctions. Number one. There's an opportunity to win. Therefore, a statement should have been made. We're going to double down on everything that President Zelensky needs, and we're going to speed up, speed it up, and put it on fast forward. We've got to take advantage of the opportunity that Zelensky's army has provided. Well, there's Jack Keane, NATO, EU, and G7 huddle to squeeze Russia. But are they doing enough? I will share the details as we know them as President Zelensky cites frustration about the delays and denials when it comes to weaponry and support, as well as provisions. Uh, with me right now is Senator John Corner. Senator, uh, Senator, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. I know last weekend you were in Poland uh, and Germany. I talked to Senator Joni Ernst this morning, and she said to me that they were expressing to her that, that uh, weapons and provisions— were slowed to a trickle at the border. I know the country's at war, but are of all these pledges of support not actually getting to the people that need it? Well, it's not fast enough. Um, momentum counts for a lot in military conflict, as, ju- as, uh, as General Jack Keane just alluded, and we need to keep the momentum, which is in favor of the Ukrainian position, um, going uh, in that direction. And the only way we can do that is by speeding up the delivery of weapons that they need in order to defend their country and their sovereignty. And as you point out, because of the of the Russian invasion, uh, this is a major humanitarian crisis as well. So we need to do more and we need to do it faster. I know the after action report will show why didn't we do this on the buildup? Why haven't we done this for years? Why was the so many shipment of uh, arms turned around when President Biden took over? But let's not even worry about that. What I'm really focused on what President Zelensky said yesterday. He said that he, he not knowing if he's going to get any aid is worse than than anything. He said, you guys have 20,000 tanks. Can I get 1%? He says, I need some type of aircraft. Where are my planes? He also went to the Baltic nation and says, do you feel good about Article 5? Because we felt good about the Budapest Agreement in 1994. That was supposed to guard our security. Look at us now. I mean, he is frustrated, Senator. Well, I don't blame him. He's got a Russian hit squad out trying to assassinate him. And he's uh, modern-day Winston Churchill inspiring the people of Ukraine and people around the world uh, to rally to the Ukrainian cause. But unfortunately, time is not on his side. Time is on Putin's side. As we've seen, his war of attrition, you know, uh, artillery uh, flattening cities and uh, killing innocent civilians and even uh, even uh, holding them hostage back in, in Russia itself. So I understand President Zelensky's 
uh, frustration. I've tried to tried to pass a bill which would restore or create a modern-day lend-lease program like we established with Britain and our allies in World War II, where it makes clear we will expedite all weaponry that the Ukrainians need in order for them to defend their country. Again, um, they've done a magnificent job, uh, better than anybody would have uh, dreamed of uh, in uh, holding the, 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 the Russian invasion back. But uh, they can't do this forever, and they certainly can't do it without our help. So we need to need to do more and heed President Zelensky's call. Uh, yeah. Uh, when you were over there, what was your takeaway when you were in Poland and Germany? Well, I mean, we, we were on the border of Ukraine and Poland at a, at a refugee center. Uh, frankly, Brian, it reminded me a lot of what we see on our southern border with uh, 2 million people showing up in the last year in the, of the Biden administration doing zero about border security, just sort of processing people through. Uh, it reminded me of that, but it was women and children, the elderly and the infirm, uh, trying to make their way to safety while the able-bodied uh, men, uh, fighting-age men, were making their way back, uh, heading, uh, heading east into Ukraine to, uh, to join the fight. Yeah, they just need some weapons and some uh, missile defense. If you're not going to give them planes, which is ridiculous, give them missile defense. I mean, they, we're worried right. about perception. They're aiming at children's hospitals. Uh, they're blowing up theaters with people in them. And we're like, well, what Absolutely. if this is over the line? It's just nuts. So I want you to hear what General well, Keene said, and tell me if you've heard this before. And I hope you say you haven't. Let's listen. I have it on excellent sources that for more than a week now, the Biden administration has been putting pressure on President Zelensky to cut a deal. And that is shameful, really shameful. And I'm convinced it's happening. And we got to get off of that page and get on the page to helping Zelensky win this war and have the resolve to stand up to the threats of WMD that Putin is making. What do you think? Well, I think it uh, there's there's never been a worse negotiator um, than the Bi than President Biden and the Biden administration. I mean, this is shameful. If uh, General Keene's right, and I have no reason to believe he's not correct, um, and uh, you know, Putin, if if he is, if there is a deal cut which uh, allows Putin to maintain his position in um, in eastern Ukraine with with the Crimea and the land that he has uh, captured so far. Um, this this is going to happen again. Uh, we need to stop Putin once and for all, and the only way we do that is by having an embarrassing loss, uh, because the free world has come has rallied around Ukraine, not by cutting bad deals like the Biden administration apparently is prepared to do in Iran with th with their flawed nuclear deal once again. Uh, Senator John Cornyn of Texas, our guest, Senator, any day now I expect to wake up and find out we've cut some deal. With the Ayatollah, evidently they are actually looking forward to doing this deal that Russia is brokering on Iran that's going to allow them to take their nuclear, uh, their nuclear waste and put it into Russia. And the report is if a Republican president comes in and wants to undo that deal, Russia will give them back their nuclear, uh, their nuclear energy, uh, their, their enriched uranium. So – and that would be the leverage they need to knock it out of this deal. What can you tell us about this, and what can you do about it? That's crazy. The, the Biden administration is conspiring against a future Republican president that would want to undo this bad With Russia. deal. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. And why in the world would you trust the Russians, uh, given what what Putin's doing in Ukraine, or the Iranians? All the Iranians want to do is to improve their economy. They want to export Iranian oil around the world because Biden won't allow the U.S. to produce what it's capable of doing and helping our friends and allies around the world. So he's looking at Iran to fill that gap. I mean, there is nothing about this that makes any sense, and it won't survive uh, the Biden administration, especially if Republicans get, get back in charge. But if they're able to get those sanctions lifted and now China is no longer cooperating, they're doing it anyway, and they're able to get their oil back on the market, it's going to be very hard, much harder to get that back uh, genie back in the bottle. Now, explain this to me, Senator. You need 60 votes in order to stop this deal. Instead of confirming a treaty with 60, you need 60 to stop this. And last time you got 58 and Schumer and Cardin joined you and Menendez joined you. We're not voting for it, but it didn't matter because you didn't reach 60 and Obama was able to pass it. Yeah, the world's upside down, Brian, under the Constitution. Uh, it's treaties, if you assume this is a treaty, and it, that's what an international agreement is, is uh, it has to be confirmed. Uh, but under the last the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal, there was this crazy uh, pr- procedure that was created, which required us to disapprove of the deal, not to ratify it like we would ordinarily a treaty. So the world's upside down. And unfortunately, I think uh, uh, not enough Democrats, I think, are going to be willing to stand up to the administration. But look, this is the bottom line. We can't allow the Iranians regime to get a nuclear weapon. And if we don't stop them, I trust that Israel will. But then we're risking a full-out war in the Middle East in addition to what's happening in Europe. So I I, I just can't imagine a worse group of negotiators than we're seeing right now at the Biden administration. They appear to be willing to give the Iranians everything and get zero in return. So uh, the energy is something that's right in your uh, area of expertise. Here's what the president said today about what he's willing to do to help Europe get off Russian oil and gas. Cut 39. The United States, together with our international partners, we're going to work to ensure an additional 15, 15, 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas, LNG, for Europe this year. We've agreed on a joint game plan toward that goal while accelerating our progress toward a secure, clean energy future. What, is, what does that mean in layman's terms, 15 billion cubic meters? I hear it's not that much. Well, you know, you talk about the energy consumption of a whole continent uh, of Europe, and, uh, and Putin has seduced Europeans into uh, a dependency on Russian oil and natural gas. And you've seen what happened when uh, Germany decided to hit the reset button and recalibrate both in terms of its obligations to NATO, supplying weapons and uh, looking to alternative forms of energy. But American natural gas is the cleanest form of energy we have now, save and except, for example, uh, nuclear, which obviously the, the Europeans have uh, have weaned themselves from. But uh, that's shows i think the 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 announcement itself if you just look at it at face value makes some sense but it takes years to build the infrastructure necessary 
um, the, the terminals to, to 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 accept the natural gas from the United States and the uh, and the pipelines that are necessary to transmit it to the ultimate user. And uh, what Biden has suggested is not going to address that problem, and certainly not in the short term. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. So NATO, EU, G7, all these meetings, and we'll see what comes out of it because all. All Ukraine wants to do is to be able to to fight and win a war effectively. I just think this would be a once in a generation opportunity to actually get rid of this horrible person on this uh, over the last 20 years. And that's Vladimir Putin. You know, the Russians will always be a challenge, but this guy is a unique challenge. They were heading a totally different direction before he took power, and he seems to have lost his mind. If you see his defense minister has disappeared, his strategist has disappeared, the guy that said this was going to be easy. He's lost intelligence agents who were supposed to pay off Ukrainians and never did. The money disappeared. Uh, We're seeing an official just disappear, just leave. I I don't know if you have good uh, contacts that you could share with our listeners about what's happening by Putin. Do you? Well, Putin, Putin is, is he's not crazy, but he is uh, he does have uh, these fantasies of the restoration of the uh, of the Russian Empire that he called the fall of the Soviet Union, one of the greatest geopolitical tragedies in the last hundred years. And so what we see is incrementally, whether it's in Georgia or in Crimea and now in the rest of Ukraine, his his gradual uh, attempt to uh, recapture some of the old Soviet Union and restore that empire. That, that's the ideology that drives Putin. And if we think he's going to quit, uh, I think we're fooling ourselves. So we have to stop him. And the best way to stop him is to support the Ukrainians and our NATO allies. This is a very dangerous situation, Brian. There's no doubt about it. But we need to be deterring Putin and not the other way around. Right now, it seems like Putin, by his saber rattling and his threats, he's deterring the free world. And we need to be deterring him. He is uh, Senator John Cornyn. Senator, always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, a voice of reason. one We're going to come back and take your calls. At the bottom of the hour, we'll turn it over uh, to Steve Moore. I'm going to put the, take, the, take these economic issues and, and, and push it down to the, uh, to the everyday person and how, how it affects all of us that have to make a living and make sure they're able to pay their bills. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In the armory, they told us they're receiving weapons from NATO countries. Uh, hand grenades. They're stocked with RPG rockets, AK-47s, and bigger guns. This sniper rifle, made in Tennessee, arrived with directions in English. You'll figure it out. But they told us they need more, as well as vehicles to move their soldiers to the front. If we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, he will go more. Lieutenant Miroslav High was a filmmaker and reservist before Russia invaded his country. Russian, uh, for example, can use nuclear weapon, but it doesn't stop Ukrainians. Even if Vladimir Putin decides to use a nuclear weapon, you won't stop fighting? Don't stop fighting. We've heard a lot of anger from Ukrainians, a lot of emotion that their country is under assault. But something that we have not heard any Ukrainian do is complain. Not once. They're simply getting on with the job of defending their homeland. And that's up to their president. And he always starts off by complimenting. And then after the compliment, he'll say, can you get back to me on this? And I think it kind of bothered, it bothered me to see all these 
Class pictures. I see the class picture of NATO, class picture of the G7, class picture of the EU. Guys, what are you laughing about? I mean, I know you want, you, you're you representing a country. You feel great about yourself. It's a big ego thing. But if you're really serious about getting together and coming up with a plan and, and, and want to establish the validity and the necessity of your organization, don't be giggling, especially because you see 400,000 people essentially have been kidnapped and held hostage in Russia. You have at least 1,300 dead civilians, uh, Ukrainian civilians, and constantly watching the shelling, people starving, uh, starving to death and dying of hunger. I just think people got to be a little bit aware. I mean, you're the president of your country. Aren't you aware of the country that the world's watching? When we come back, Steve Moore on the economy, how it affects you. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show the economy continues to deteriorate you can take a look at at what's been happening to inflation and gdp and what the banks are forecasting is likely to happen you can see inflation which is estimated this year to be a stunning 15 percent we think our eight percent is obviously very very uh, unfortunate their 15 percent is a heck of a lot worse and they've been having widespread shortages and widespread spot inflation the price of sugar went up by 14 percent alone last week and so they have banned sugar exports until August. Just to give you a sense of what's going on in the Russian economy with respect with respect to inflation. And you just wonder if those sanctions are working. They said they hit the central banks. They're going to tighten it up even more. Should they hit secondary sanctions? So if you do any business with Russia, should you be sanctioned? Let's ask Steve Moore. Uh, you know Steve Moore, Freedom Works senior economist and author of uh, the book uh, GovZilla, How the Re- Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. Uh, Steve, welcome back. Uh, Hi, Brian. Is this a one time where sanctions are affecting Russia substantially? Well, first of all, congratulations on your new book as well. Uh, looking forward to seeing you Monday in, in uh, Florida. So um, that should be fantastic. Yeah. Um, look, uh, the most important thing we can do, Brian, I, I said this on Fox News earlier this morning, was we need to produce as much oil and gas and coal and energy as we can here in the United States. This is not complicated, right? The more that we produce, the less money that Putin gets to finance his war machine. It is it is economically illiterate and it's immoral that the country with the most oil and gas, the United States, is now importing it from Russia. I mean, this this makes no sense. Now, there was a declaration by the uh, by uh, an agreement with NATO uh, between um, Biden and the European countries, that we're going to finally, finally, finally start to increase our uh, natural gas output and exports. But, Brian, why have we waited a year to do that? When Trump left office, we were exporting natural gas. Biden comes in, he declares war on American energy, and I believe that this is one of the major reasons that that uh, R- Russia is able to invade Ukraine. So let's drill. Let's drill and pump our oil and gas and bring the price down, and it'll help American consumers, and it'll, it'll hurt the, uh, the the Russian war machine. Well, the thing is, too, remember the president said, well, I can't stop Nord Stream 2. It'll be too, it's almost done. And then all of a sudden, Germany says, yeah, we're not stopping that. Then when the invasion happens, Germany says, yeah, I'll stop it. And we go, good, you should stop it. So now they say we're going to give 15 cubic meters of LNG. And I, I'm, not, I'm not into that business. I don't know what that measurement means, but evidently it's not that much. 
uh, that's really going to help them get off the 87% of their energy dependence on Russia. Yeah. Now, look, Brian, the Europeans are not, um, you know, innocent here either. I mean, they've also facilitated this war from their idiotic um, green energy strategy over the last 10 years, which, by the way, damn near bankrupted Germany and all these other countries. You would think the American politicians would learn from the failure of trying to go to, you know, 80, 90, 100 percent wind and solar power. And so the Europeans have – and by the way, Trump warned against this, Brian – Trump, war- I remember he was shaking his finger at, at the Germans and the French and the Italians saying, do not get hooked on Russian natural gas. And that's exactly what they did. And so we're in a predicament right now that is that is um, I'm very worried about the economy right now. I think we are going to see worsening inflation. Uh, we're now seeing in the neighborhood I live in five dollar a gallon gasoline. And uh, this is a result of not producing the oil and gas here in the United States, number one, and number two, the massive over-government spending. And by the way, Biden wants more spending. Joe Manchin is saying that he's going to revisit Build Back Better, only a smaller Uh, version of it, which I found really disturbing. Me too. (laughs) I I almost, you know, when I read that headline in Fox News this morning, I was just really disheartened because, uh, by the way, Joe Manchin has been saying all the right things. Brian, he's been saying for six months, this more spending will make the inflation problem worse. We don't need, you know, another two trillion dollars of spending, two, three, four, five trillion, whatever uh, number he's coming up with. Um, So let's hope that he doesn't change his mind on this, because I've always said, Brian, build back better is only officially dead when we take that gavel away from Nancy Pelosi in January of 2023. I hear you. The Maine governor uh, came out, uh, Democrat uh, Janet Mills says, I'm going to give my people $850 per month starting in early June to help them with gas. How do you feel about that? This is only, and by the way, I think I, you heard it first on the Brian Kilmeade show. I believe that this is going to become a Biden policy. We're just going to give people more free money. Now, Brian, not free. What, what, what happens to the inflation rate if we send out all this free checks to people? Of course. It devalues the dollar, and it's taking it from exactly. me and giving it to somebody else. It's the worst possible thing we could do. Now, what we should be doing, I mean, I don't have a problem with maybe lowering the gasoline tax, but look, you're talking about maybe saving 20 cents a gallon on, on, on a, at the pump. The, the price of gasoline under Biden has gone up at $2 a gallon. Yeah, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom, same thing. He's at, yep. on average, 588. He wants to give up to $800 debit cards out to he, his people in California. <laughs> now, here's the other thing that's so crazy about this. You know, so if you do this, you're going to encourage people to buy, buy more oil and gas, right, because you're giving them the money to buy oil. I thought they wanted the people to buy less. One day they want people to buy more of it. One day they want people to buy less of it. Again, I go back to the solution here is to produce more of it, not to have a higher demand for it, produce more of it. Uh, If the production of something goes up, the price goes down. When Trump left office, it was $60 a barrel. Today, it's $110 a barrel. So we, I believe we could be producing 5 million barrels more a day. And I think if Trump were president, we'd be doing that. Think about that. 5 million barrels a day at $100 a barrel. That's $500 million a day the United States would be saving if we were producing it here at home. So they say gas prices right now are costing American households on average 2000 more a year. And when they say six or seven out of every 10 Americans live paycheck to paycheck, you're going to feel that because the cost uh, – because the raise gains are uh, on the whole – 
on no the way. national they're not, level they're not are not pace. that. Yes. Yeah, so we've had wage gains of five percent. We've got inflation running at eight or nine percent. So do you know? Do the math, folks. You know that means that we're we're actually people's uh, real incomes are falling. We're going to probably see the biggest reduction in middle class incomes adjusted for inflation in twenty years uh, due to uh, Biden's crazy policies. But I've been saying this on your show and you know on Fox shows for the last year. Why, the, the Biden? Can you explain to them this to me, Brian? How does it make any sense that we actually are getting our oil and gas from Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, when we should be getting it from Texas and North Dakota and Alaska and Pennsylvania? I, I, it doesn't even make any sense to me. Isn't natural gas burned clean? Shouldn't that be considered green? Absolutely. Yes. So, and the, nuclear the, should be know, considered for, green. Green. Yes. So, Brian, do you know what country in the world of the of the 50 largest economies in the world has reduced its uh, greenhouse gas emissions the most? I think it's the, the U.S. Five years? Yes. Most people don't know that because the media never reports it. And the reason we've reduced our greenhouse gases so much is that we've transitioned to what you just said, clean, burning, natural gas. Somebody's got to explain to me why the environmentalists against uh, gas pipelines and LNG terminals and natural gas drilling. Natural gas cleans the environment. It doesn't it doesn't pollute it. So we know that the average person's been hurt. We know that uh, there's a lot of people listening to us right now who have to choose a different bill every week not to pay. But on the big level, you know, I've been I listen to a lot of Sky and BBC because I'm up in the middle of the night trying to cover this story and trying to get different video. And they're having huge, uh, huge inflation problems, too. China is growing only at 5%, which means it's probably less. They expect it to be double that. So they're right. having some issues with production. Who's doing well through this, Through the between Nobody. the COVID-19 and everything else and the war? Nobody, except people who work for governments, you know, and, the, and the, the governments and the world leaders and the politicians, the people at NATO, they can't understand that they have created this crisis. This isn't a natural disaster that's happened. This is this is because we've made a series of bad decisions, uh, starting with with Biden's uh, energy policies. And, um, you know, until we uh, look, I think we need a regime change in Washington, Brian. I, I think we need to get I work with Trump. Every meeting I was with him in the Oval Office, he'd talk about not just making America energy independent, Brian. He'd say, I want to make America energy dominant. And we were on that path. I'm old old enough to remember the 70s when the Saudis had control of the world oil market and they could put a blade to our neck and they could throw the American economy into recession. Where We finally, after 40 years, got energy independent and then Biden switches the switch off. Mm -hmm. What has been done? I know Intel is building a chip things here. There was a a real sense in this country in 2020, we got to start bringing – our, our prescription drugs yep. home and our mask yep. and PPE and uh, the chips. We found out Taiwan was the main uh, was the main uh, distributor of it, and of right. course Taiwan is overstocked and they had to they were understaffed. Now they're trying to play catch up. What has been done that you know of to bring manufacturing home? Well, look, I do believe in globalization, and I think globalization over the last thirty years has has been a good thing for raising living standards all over the world. So I, I do believe in free trade, but I also believe when it comes to these critical technologies that you're talking about, like the microchips that we need for our cars. Yeah, we need to make sure that uh, that these global supply chains are um, are uh, dependable. And right now they are not. So we, we do need to have a domestic uh, production. Of, by the way, don't forget about food. Food. They're, they're now talking about massive food shortages around the world. 
Uh, and in the United States, that's going to mean higher food prices, which are going to hurt. But in many poor countries, that's going to mean malnutrition. Uh, and unfortunately, you're going to see potentially starvation because of all of these crazy decisions that these governments have made. I hear you. Steve Moore, uh, congratulations on, uh, on your book. Uh, go out and pick it up. Uh, you are, it's called GovZilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for being with us today, and hopefully we'll have a good economic story to tell soon. Okay, Brian. Take care. Have a great weekend. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back and take your calls. We're also following the latest from Ukraine. And then the the report yesterday that Governor Keene said, Governor General Keene says, wow, uh, Zelensky's being pressured by the West to cut a deal with Putin. Amazing. To what? Give up half his country? How could you possibly say that? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. New York City is at a low-risk environment. And so today we take another step in the city's economic recovery and support local businesses, entertainers, and performances, and those performance venues across the entire city. And just as any player, some people will boo us, but they're also those who will be employed and would cheer us. That is not only the game of baseball, but that's the game of life. And we have to be on the field in order to win in both the game of life. Okay, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Uh, that makes no sense. And neither does the policy of Mayor de Blasio, which he inherited and kept. So first off, he said, I'm going to leave all the masks on all the kids. That's Mayor Eric Adams, by the way. I'm going to leave all, all the masks on all the kids, ex- uh, take the mask off all the kids except preschoolers. Really? Why? After two weeks of protest, all right, take the preschoolers. Okay, fine. Uh, there's a little bit of an issue. Uh, why is it the private uh, sector, you said they got to be vaccinated, they can't come in a building. Really? Uh, what does that mean for sports teams and Broadway plays? You go, well, they can't, they can't perform. They can't play. Kyrie Irving, case in point, he goes, I'm not getting vaccinated. They go, you cannot play in Brooklyn, but you can play in 49 other states. Think about that. It's the dumbest thing ever. You could be an unvaccinated person, play in Brooklyn, but because you're not employed there, you can play. And then when the Yankees and Mets are about to start, I personally believe that the Yankees and Mets are so powerful. Are you really going to say Aaron Judge, don't play? Uh, Max Scherzer, if you're not vaccinated, don't play. Are you really going to? Evidently, half the Mets are unvaccinated, and about uh, a handful of the Yankees are unvaccinated. Are you going to be sitting your best players because they're not vaccinated and only play them on the road? You're not going to get into that, are you? And there's no science behind it. Plus, you're playing outdoors. So they lifted it. Okay. The problem is they left it in place. Goodbye, firefighters. If you take the firefighters, the school workers, and the cops, sanitation workers who have been fired because they want to get vaccinated, some of which had the antibodies that wouldn't take an antibody test. We know all those arguments. They're still fired, 2,500. But now Kyrie Irving can play. And I'm all for him playing. I'm all for the Mets and Yankees playing. I'm never for their ban. But what I love the Mets and Yankees to do right now is say thank you for doing something that never should have been in the first place. Mayor Adams, but I want you to, I want to stay next to firefighters, cops, and nurses that were forced to quit, you know, uh, Sloan Kettering and NYU. They say NYU 100% were vaccinated. All these other hospitals, I want them to sit there and go, thanks for letting me play. And Broadway, uh, some of these Broadway actors, so thanks for letting us do it. And some of these people starring in soap operas at studios, thanks for letting us go back to work. 
but let the firefighters go back too. Because, you know, in the case of the athletes, Kyrie Irving, just because he was only playing half the games, it wasn't like he was getting half the pay. He was still getting paid. So he's getting paid about $18 million and not playing. It was really hurting the team. Athlete hurting his career, but he wants to win a championship, and he could actually do that now with Kevin Durant. But why would you continue these ridiculous rules when it comes to COVID-19? Also, the teachers are finding more and more that the kids are way behind when they are now teaching them without masks. These kids uh, really can't catch up, uh, and they're having problems. And we all, all predicted this, but as a country, too. And they're just crazy in Australia. They are nuts. They are nuts in Canada, and we all saw that. So some of these things that are, that are taking place uh, make absolutely no sense uh, when it comes to COVID-19. And I just think we're going to be seeing a slight uptick because we've got this sub-variant of uh, Omicron. And because you have this sub-variant, it's going to be easier to spread, but it's going to be not as deadly. And we're going to have the numbers, the case numbers jumping up. And we're going to have a whole bunch of people uh, panicking. So listen to this. Um, you have you have 15, yeah, 1,500 public sector employees, 2,500 overall, 956 school employees who have lost their jobs because they're not been vaxxed. You let the Mets and Yankees play, but evidently you're not letting their workers, the co-workers. So if you're, you're vending, if you're sitting there selling uh, popcorn at the game or hot dogs, you're not allowed to do that if you're not vaccinated, but you can play first base. By, by the way, we don't have dome stadiums in New York, so it's all outdoors. So you can't work behind the counter and supplement your income or let that be your income. It's bad enough that it had to stop because there were no fans allowed in uh, in 2020. Then 2021, they come back and they come back late. Now they come back uh, semi-late. Also, not ending there. I give so much credit to the airlines. They have to sit there and crack down and tell people, you got to be on a five, four or five hours, keep that mask up. And if it drops... We can kick you off the plane. I mean, some of the flight attendants are so belligerent. For the most part, they hated doing it. But now American Airlines, Delta, uh, United, uh, and uh, have all gotten together. And they're saying next week, we already tried this once by just laying out and letting you make a decision. Next week, you have to lift the mask mandate. It's too much pressure. Number one, it makes the flying situation extremely unpopular, unpleasant. Number two, it's too much pressure on the flight attendants. There's all this flight rage happening. And it could lessen it by allowing to do it. And if you talk to the circulation experts, the people that know uh, fresh air, they say the cleanest air you can breathe by the way it changes out is on the plane. So no longer say do it for safety. But then when you question, say, well, I'm following the science because the science doesn't back up anything that they're doing. So I love that this is getting addressed. The other big story is if you are in baseball, you want to play the Blue Jays and you're not vaccinated, you're not playing. If you are in basketball and you want to play Toronto, hmm, bad news. Raptors will get to play and you're not allowed. So because that's uh, Canada's rules. So Canada's not budging. We can handle state by state. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you watch One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11, and then this week on Sunday, a special at 10 p.m. on Fox News. Who is Zelensky? From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll have Shannon Breen with me in a matter of moments, and then Steve Harrigan will come and to bring us inside his stay uh, in, well, in, in Ukraine and uh, how tough it is and what's going on in Russia. If anybody knows, he spent so, so much substantial time there. 
If anyone knows, if amid the grip of uh, Vladimir Putin is loosening, it would be Steve Harrigan. And, of course, I'll take your calls. Uh, Don't forget to watch One Nation this weekend at 8 o'clock, and then it repeats at 11. And then we have a special, Who is Vladimir Zelensky? It's going to be expanded now for the channel. You can get it on Fox Nation. Fascinating look at how this guy got to where he is, and there were no signs that he was ever going to step up the way he is. This guy is a generational leader. That's how special, uh, that's how much in awe I am, and I think most people I talk to are. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The United States, together with our international partners, we're going to work to ensure an additional 15, 15, 15 billion cubic meters of liquefied natural gas, LNG, for Europe this year. All right, I guess, uh, is that a lot? People say it's not, but at least you're doing it. Finally, President, uh, the President Biden announced he'll pump some more natural gas, but is it enough? Can the industry ramp up more and more and get the European, our European allies off Russian gas and oil? And what do the polls want the president to do? Number two. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. I never tire of hearing uh, such idiocy. Why would the president say something that we know that he doesn't believe? President Biden speaking publicly about a run for president again as Republicans' momentum grows to flip the House and the Senate. And once again, he denies publicly what we all know is true, that sanctions were sent to deter when they didn't. The president's reversing his story. Number one. There's an opportunity to win. Therefore, a statement should have been made. We're going to double down on everything that President Zelensky needs, and we're going to speed up, speed it up, and put it on fast forward. We've got to take advantage of the opportunity that Zelensky's army has provided. Yeah, and we're not. NATO, EU, G7, huddle to squeeze Russia. But are they doing enough? I will share the details as we know them as President Zelensky cites frustration and constant delays from NATO. Not only won't they let him in, but they're not giving him what he needs. With me right now is somebody who always comes to play, Shannon Bream, getting sent to host her show tonight at midnight and always has, um, always has different projects going on, especially now when Shannon Bream has a book coming up called The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. That's coming up. March 29th, which is just around the corner. Shannon, welcome back. Listen, I only have to write like 50 more books to catch up to you, um, but I'm working on it. What about women that aren't in the Bible? Would that take too long to do? There are a lot of them, uh, but we have plenty of material for sure. Right. You'd have plenty of people. And do you know what a woman is? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm not being nominated to the Supreme Court, so I don't expect to be grilled in that same manner. Were you surprised by that? Oh, God. Yeah, of course you did. Were you surprised to a degree that question? Well, no, I mean, I, I you know, when I've talked to Senator Blackburn, she gets so much heat for that question about where she was going, and I get it. Listen, there are cases out there that we track all the time um, that are dealing with trans athletes and competition at NCAA, high school level. Those legal cases are percolating out there, and I think that's what that was all about, was getting her to go on record and make a statement, which – um, she, as any nominee will wisely do, um, will avoid stepping on minds. And I think it makes no sense to the you know normal American who's watching that she couldn't answer that question. But I get it. Um, you know, she was thinking of the legal context and the fact that she's probably going to have to rule on that at some point. Right. Uh, so I just say, well, I know, I know what it is when I see it. 
know it when I see it. They've said that before at the Supreme Court. Yes. Um, Shannon, uh, what about Justice Thomas? I know he was in the hospital. Yeah, he is out. He was discharged this morning, which is great news um, for everybody who's been praying and rooting for him. Uh, but listen, he went in last Friday with what we're told, you know, were flu-like symptoms. Turns out he had an infection, and they wanted to keep him and keep an eye on him. We thought he'd be out earlier in the week, uh, but the good news is he is officially out of the hospital as of Friday morning. Right. Uh, so uh, flu-like symptoms, but not COVID. Interesting. Uh, you Overnight, I guess you're, you've been carrying a lot of the stuff that we've been carrying with the time zone uh, issues. The President of the United States... Uh, said that he brought everyone in NATO together. He called for this meeting, this NATO meeting. Okay, I did not know that he called for it. And here's what he said he did it for. Cut eight. First was to support Ukraine with military and humanitarian assistance. Second was to impose the most significant, the most significant sanctions, economic sanction regime ever, in order to cripple Putin's economy and punish him for his actions. Third was to fortify the eastern flank of our NATO allies, who were obviously very, very concerned and somewhat at worried of what would happen. We accomplished all three of these. Well, I would say getting weaponry, food, to Zelensky should have been number one, two, and three. As well as uh, putting troops in, you could do that by signing a requisition. But I was struck that Zelensky's not happy. He says, you know, you got 20,000 tanks. Could I have 1% of them? You said you have fighter jets. I, you don't want to do a no-fly zone, but can I have some fighter jets? You say you got a missile defense system. I don't see any of it. And uh, can you imagine being him and hearing all this talk and people taking credit and, and the stuff's be not being delivered? What are you hearing? Well, I mean, I'm still so confused with the months of saying that these sanctions are going to deter Putin, or at least that's the purpose of them, for the president to then stand there yesterday and say, that's not that sanctions aren't about deterring. You know, it's um, one of those situations where it's like, I, the messaging for this administration has been so all over the place, whether it's COVID or Ukraine or whatever's going on. um, It just doesn't look good on the world stage. It looks like Confusion and disarray. Or especially with sanctions, when you feel so good about them, they're trying to weigh, they're going to do secondary sanctions on anyone who does business with Russia. So if you're one of the 35 that abstain from condemning their invasion, like Brazil, China, India. So if you do business with Russia, do we sanction them? And that's the big question right now. It would be one of the, the bigger questions. But when the president of the United States is asking about uh, sanction deterrence, he denied it. But here's the problem. Nobody else on his staff denied it. In fact, they backed it up, cut 20. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. We want them to have a deterrent effect, clearly, and he hasn't invaded yet. We have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Really? So what am I to believe, Shannon? I'm so confused. I know. I am, too. And this is not the kind of confusion that the people of Ukraine need right now. I mean, they need very concrete, um, up-to-the-minute help, as you said, with weaponry and all kinds of systems, whatever we can legally do and that the world feels like it can, um, you know, ethically and morally do to step in and help. Nobody wants to trigger World War III. Like, no one short of probably Putin wants anything to do with that. Um, so it's a very fine line uh, to walk. But 
you know, if President Biden is viewed, the American president is often viewed as the leader of the free world. And so he needs to speak with clarity um, and with focus and in a way that doesn't leave any room for Putin and for Xi and for North Korea, which is now launching missiles again, um, to have any room to think that they uh, have a place at the table that would overcome what the U.S. can bring to the table. Right. Here's Matthew Continenti of the Washington Free Beacon on the fact that he got through his list and got to somebody that maybe wasn't on, was who they knew, his staff knew, would ask a tough question. This is why they give Biden a list of reporters to call on, Brett, a list that Biden had exhausted, and he was on his way out of that press conference when he called on Christina Ruffini of CBS, who asked that question about deterrence. Biden was caught flat-footed. He was caught trying to reverse-engineer history to grant himself foresight, but he was completely wrong. Look, the sanctions didn't deter because the sanctions weren't imposed. Biden wasn't imposing sanctions prior to the invasion. He was threatening sanctions, and the threat of sanctions wasn't enough to change Vladimir Putin's behavior. To deter someone like Putin, you have to hold at risk something that he values greatly. Putin doesn't care about the economic well-being of Russia. He cares about power. You have to threaten his hold on power. And the only way to do that now, Brett, is to find a way to help the Ukrainians defeat him on the ground. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the sanctions, listen, he has laughed at those. We have had Russian top officials come out and say, we, we laugh at these, they mean nothing to us. Um, and the fact is, like, I don't think his palaces and his yachts and all that stuff is going away. It's going to be unpleasant for him when all the oligarchs are sanctioned and they start putting pressure on him like, yo, this, our lives are being destroyed and our bank, bank accounts are being wiped out. But I don't think that's the stuff that motivates him. I do think, and listen, I'm no expert on Putin, but I listen to the experts who, who feel like they know what's inside the mind of Putin. He wants a legacy of glory, of reuniting the Soviet Union. And he's basically said, I'm going to do whatever it takes, which means – using weaponry, which may cross every international norm, on civilians and other people. He's already shown us what he's willing to do, and I think we should believe him when he tells us. So, Shannon, who, what can we expect tonight? I know it's kind of early. And do you expect Judge Jack on your show, and do you expect Judge Jackson to have any roadblocks to confirmation because Joe Manchin made it clear he's going to vote for her? Yeah, listen, the Democrats have always had the numbers that they needed to get Judge Jackson across the finish line. So I don't think that's in doubt. Does she pick up a couple of Republican votes? Probably. Um, Listen, we'll try to book her for tonight's show and I'll get back to you. That would be a humdinger. It would be. I mean, how do you think she's done? Um, I think that she's avoided the traps. I mean, that's the thing. You want to kind of go in and do no harm as the nominee. You know, they put those through put her through those grilling murder boards and try to trip her up and, you know, all these different questions in preparation for this. And I think as long as you keep your cool um, and and you proceed without giving away any um, major mix-ups, which she hasn't done any of that, I think that uh, it's going to be a party-line vote. And the weird thing is it's not that long ago that the nominee didn't even show up. I mean, there was a confirmation hearing and they voted. Um, and then before that, there weren't even confirmation hearings. So what we have now is a very modern-day situation, which yeah. has turned, I think, a lot of people into being a political theater. Uh, I know. It would be great to see a nominee get more than uh, 50 votes or get more yeah. than their party. But I guess those days are done, perhaps. For uh, now. Yeah, for now. Shannon, thanks so much for giving me the quality time. Congrats. People want to download your book ahead of time and just have it appear on published date. Can they do that? Yeah, I mean, get ready for Tuesday, and it'll be wherever you like, whatever format you like to read your books. All right. Uh, great, Shannon. Have you enjoyed this? Absolutely. It's a highlight of my week every week. All right. Shannon Bream, the, even last week when you didn't do it? 
That was the biggest highlight. That was great not to, to be able to sleep. <laughs> Shannon Bream, go get him. It's good to be back. Go get Bye. him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back in a moment, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. In the bottom of the hour, uh, we have a chance to talk to Steve Harrigan and find out what's going on in Russia. We're watching the President of the United States moving around with the troops. The 82nd Airborne is in Poland. And before he goes, wherever he's going to go next, meet with President Duma, um, I do believe that this is one of the great moments. I mean, if you're president, it's got to be so cool. But they're all wearing masks. Why are they wearing masks? Come on. Don't you have to be vaccinated in order to do that? I guess he's old. But the other thing would be, just to keep as a subplot, the president has been extremely critical of Poland. He put him in the same category as Hungary with their dictatorial-leaning uh, leader and Belarus. Now he's watched Poland in action, sees how they opened up their hearts and, uh, uh, and their arms to the Ukrainians, sees how strong they've been through this, and I think he might get it blowing, blowing up in his face today behind closed doors. But he better not do anything but be complimentary in the name of America. But you know why he really hates Poland? Because Poland loves Trump. That's my view. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This incredible resilience of the people who come to Warsaw. They're unbelievably proud. They want to work. They don't, do not want to rely on, on anyone. They want to take care of themselves. The degree of self-organization is just unbelievable. I visited them, and I visit them daily in different places where we take care of them. And, you know, they've organized themselves. Teachers... Uh, already Ukrainian teachers who came with the refugees already teach their kids. Uh, nurses are helping out. Ladies who work in the kitchen are helping out in the kitchen. Plumbers who came are helping out putting uh, showers in there. There's an etajovaya, a lady who takes care of the whole floor to make order in, in this place. It's, it's unbelievable. And those guys are Yes, traumatized, but they're so proud and, and, and they are also knowing that they need to take care of themselves because they need yeah. to give this force and will to the guys who are fighting uh, on the ground, fighting Russian troops. Uh, so that's uh, the mayor over in Poland. Yeah, of Warsaw. I just have I have so much respect because if you talk to people in the military that work with international troops, they always say the Poles are the best. You know, Australians, they've always got a toughness to them. But there's something about Poles. They really appreciate the idea of freedom. And I know I can't give you the inside story on the Polish uh, parliament, but evidently they're getting a little bit towards uh, more of a autocratic rule, but of still keeping their sense of freedom and democracy. But they don't like where people are trending. But for the most part, considering where they're from and what they're up against, uh, I'm in awe what they're able to do. And if Russia looks at Ukraine as having a tough time, they are going to run to a buzzsaw with Poland if they ever think about expanding their sphere of influence. Joe's always got an opinion. He's at WRCN, beautiful Long Island, New York. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. I heard Shannon Bream saying they tried to trip up uh, Mrs. Jackson, the Supreme Court Justice, with a trick question. What's a woman? It's I a t- thought everyone knew women have three chromosomes, two breasts and a vagina. Men have one chromosome, a penis. We all know women are birthing people. 
So I'm not even a biologist. I didn't go to Harvard for that. They need to disqualify her right there alone. Well. No, re- no response? Well, <laughs> I, I did not think we were going to go through the anatomy like that. Um, I'm a little bit taken aback uh, by it. But I will say this. I will say there's no doubt about it. She is qualified. There's no doubt about it. She has the background. I just wish the President of the United States didn't come out and say, I'm going for a black woman. Because right away, if I'm her, I'm saying, really? That's why I got this job? Even though it's not. What she is is she's a, she's a liberal justice, extremely experienced, extremely competent, extremely bright. Got it. I know uh, Paul Ryan. I know a friend of um, a friend of Paul Ryan's who I guess Paul Ryan's related by marriage to her, and they don't agree on anything judicially, but they just know how good a great person she is, and I'm for that. But when Joe Biden comes out and says I want a black woman, all of a sudden it's like okay, you knocked off two thirds of the contenders. Now you're down to this. I'm going to go with her, and it diminishes her accomplishments. And I find this whole process. Um, I don't know. I don't. I didn't love the way the Republicans approached it. I didn't. Came off a hostile. You know. I just. I mean, do you have to come off so hostile? Nobody's worse than Democrats. So what they did the last three Supreme Court justices, they embarrassed their party. I don't think the Republicans embarrassed their party, but the abrasiveness in which they questioned, I have a little bit of a problem with. And thanks for the call, Joe. When we come back, I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk to Steve Harrigan about what's going on in Russia. But for the most part, we see the president of the United States who made comments earlier in Brussels yesterday, is in Poland today, met with the 82nd in Poland, and at some point, at some point is going, I believe, going to the border of the Ukrainian-Polish border. If he was younger, I would say go to Kiev. But maybe it's too much of a risk. But when you have three prime ministers in the region go do that last week, I would think the president going there wouldn't be out of the realm possibility. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have it on excellent sources that for more than a week now, the Biden administration has been putting pressure on President Zelensky to cut a deal. And that is shameful, really shameful. And I'm convinced it's happening. And we got to get off of that page and get on the page to helping Zelensky win this war and have the resolve to stand up to the threats of WMD that Putin is making. Listen, he doesn't want to talk. The talks have gotten nowhere. Uh, The Russian troops have not penetrated into any major city. They are absolutely destroying Mariupol right now. And they're they're actually seem to be starving them out. But Kiev seems to be somewhat secure while they're pushing back on some of the suburbs. Uh, Steve Harrigan's been all over Russia and he's been all over Ukraine and knows the area well. Thankfully, he's back and he's safe. And I would need to get your perspective almost as an analyst over a reporter, Steve. Welcome back. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be back with you. So I know you're not going to say anything you're not feeling secure of, but you know General Keene's background. He doesn't get involved in politics. He was almost breathless in his anger when he said that Zelensky being pushed to do and concede, get into talks, uh, he shouldn't have to. What do you hear about that? It's great to hear that passion. And when it comes from the general, it really pricks your ears up because he's not usually like that. And it's good to get that word out. It, it is amazing, if true, that Zelensky could be being pressured by the U.S. 
to make a deal with someone who's slaughtering his people. It's a, it's a remarkable situation. So if I told you when this thing first started, Steve, uh, we're going to be 30 days in and and we'll be at where we're at right now. We can go city by city, but for the most part, the Russians haven't achieved almost any of their goals. What would you have said to me? If I said, hey, 30 days out, we're going to be here, would you said, I'm, uh, would that have been your prediction? No. Uh, first, every, everything's been a surprise about this war. Very few people, all the journalists over there who you talk to, is Putin going to invade? Everyone said no. A lot of military analysts, same deal. No way he's going to launch a major invasion. It makes no sense. And yet that's what happened. And then everyone, not just the Russians, but American intelligence said, this is going to take two days. And it's going to all be over. He's going to encircle Kiev, cut off the head, put in his guy, and that's that. Uh, a complete surprise, a surprise to, to the world. Ukraine has shocked the world. Correct. A couple of things. What's the biggest shock? Russia, lack of coordination, a lack of execution, lack of communication, or, or the way Zelensky and, and the Ukrainian troops have uh, led and fought? What's the bigger surprise? I think the bigger surprise is Ukraine. I mean, to stand up to what is a perceived military superpower that's 10 times your budget, 10 times your size, and on your own. When the rest of the world says, you know, you fight it out, we'll give you some weapons, but there's no way we're putting boots on the ground. And by the way, we won't do this, we won't do that, we won't do that. And to still be fighting. I mean, the stories you hear, just even anecdotally about Ukrainians, you know, dropping their carpenter saw in some country in Europe and just disappearing to fly home to fight. It's it's just such a spirit where people are standing up for their country. It's it's really, you know, it, it just gets you teary-eyed. And for you who've seen so much, that says a lot. You know, just the story after story of whether it's Romania or whether it's uh, Poland, uh, when they go ahead, they the men are dropping off their families and then going back to fight. There is yeah, almost no yeah. young men crossing the border and staying. They're all going back. And they're going back to a kind of war that's incredibly brutal, that is close contact fighting on the Ukrainian side. For the Ukrainians to try and get to these tanks or these artillery, they have to get up close. And it's often, you know, with a portable weapon versus a tank. It's It's an amazing disparity. And, uh, you know, we've seen the war evolve, too, into something really grotesque and with probably more to come. I think that's the worrisome thing. This long-range shelling and this deliberate targeting of bomb shelters, you know, when you saw that perhaps 300 dead now from that theater in Mariupol, people taking shelter, writing children out in front, and boom, that's exactly what gets targeted. This is a war of terror that... You know, you've seen people stand up in history against attempts to break the will. You saw it in the London, you know, in the when the Nazis were bombing London. And you're seeing it again here in Ukraine. There's an attempt to break the will of a people that's only making that will stronger. So the U.N. came out with numbers. They said they, they can uh, attest to 977 civilian dead, 1,500, uh, almost 1,600 wounded. Uh, and we also saw Pravda come out and briefly take down that there have been at least 10,000 uh, dead and 16,000 wounded Russians. Of those numbers, what do, you, uh, what do you think? I think the likely estimate is somewhere between seven and 10,000 Russian military dead, which is more than they lost 
in years in Afghanistan, which is more than the U.S. lost in Iraq and Afghanistan combined, which is enormous and which is going to, you know, which is going to turn villages and towns in Russia against this war. And it's going to strain the manpower to try and keep troops in the field. It's really the anecdotal stories, too, about what the soldiers, how the Russian soldiers are being treated by their own government. It's really these stories about having to sleep in your vehicle for a month, about having frostbitten feet that no one attends to, not even bothering about it, about shooting yourself in the leg to avoid uh, combat. This is a, you know, the stories about morale problems are only beginning to emerge. You know, it's interesting. Yesterday's New York Times, they have a video component now to a lot of these time stories. And when I was up at four in the morning playing it and it disappeared, I'm sure it was not being hidden. They just left the front page. But they were playing translated uh, Russian army uh, men going back and forth talking about how disorganized they are, how they don't know what they're doing, how hungry they are, how much longer they have to do this. All this back and forth that the Ukrainians were able to pick up and then put out, got to the New York Times hands, and it's out there. So you, if anyone doubted that this stuff is not Ukrainian propaganda, listen to what they're listening to because they've evidently traveled, Steve, into country without a secure way to communicate with each other. It's, it's amazing. I mean, think of the reputation that Putin has built up over 20 years and the Russian military in its most recent operations – in Ukraine in 2014, in Syria, these were much smaller operations. And the Russian military looked like it had been rebuilt, it had been refinanced, that this was something to fear, that this was an efficient operation. And now it's back to, this is, this is a Soviet operation of, of bungling, of top-down management, and of the people in the field just not getting cared for in any way and fighting against the system. So a couple of things, you know, I, I keep hearing these pledges of weapons and provisions, pledges of weapons and provisions, but we're not going through the air. We're not doing any humanitarian drops that I know of, and we're not doing it through drones, which I thought we were capable of. I know this company called Zipline. We had them, them on Fox and Friends. They were dropping blood in these small, uh, underprivileged African nations, dropping blood in medical supplies. I don't know why we can't drop water in MREs. But having said that, I just am curious to see what NATO is getting, and then I got the readout, the rough readout of the summary of what Zelensky said to the NATO. Essentially, he's kind of angry. He says, you got 20,000 tanks. Can we get 1% of that? You promised some type of fighter jets. I haven't seen anything yet. And he says, the worst thing is, I'm not getting any clear help, answers on what kind of help I'm going to get. And then he said to the Baltic nations, do you have faith in Article 5? Does that work for you? Because we had faith in the Budapest Agreement. That didn't work for us. So it makes me think, I mean, a very small portion is getting actually to the people that need it. And I don't know, do you hear them about getting any type of Russian missile defense in there, these S-300s? It is a, it is a balancing act for the West and for Zelensky. On the one hand, he wants to express gratitude. On the other hand, you know, he's rightfully watching his own people do the fighting and do the dying. And I think there's two questions really to keep in mind. If Putin continues to lose and get humiliated, will he ramp it up with a chemical weapons attack? They did it in Syria, and it worked. It broke the will of the opposition. It created panic, and it gave momentum to the Syrian government forces. 
The Ukrainians have stood up under everything, under random shelling and bombing, under children being targeted, journalists being targeted. What's going to happen if sarin gas drops there? What's going to be the West response to that? It's a different order of magnitude. Both can scare you. Both can kill you. But the chemical is different than metal. There's a stigma to it very deep in humans. And if we see that happen, and I believe Putin is not going to stop. He's not going to go home. He's not going to sign a deal until he's in a stronger position. I believe this is entirely likely. What's the West response going to be to a chemical attack inside Ukraine? And not only that, to back you up, I'm sure they're talking about it with such specificity and such warnings. It seems like they've gotten intelligence to show that is the case. Here's what, uh, what President Biden said yesterday. Cut to. And to clarify on chemical weapons, could if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? It would it would trigger a response in kind, whether or not you're asking whether NATO would cross. We'd make that decision at the time. Is that helpful? It's it's there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, in kind makes you think, well, we'd respond with a chemical attack, which, of course, is not going to happen. Uh, it's it's a it's a puzzle, but we've seen Putin do it before, and some military analysts I've spoken to say at this point it's likely, which really scares the heck out of you if it's likely in Europe. The other question to ask about this is, if it is a chemical attack, say sarin gas, and that cloud floats over into NATO territory, is that considered an attack? And what would a NATO response be? But you know we're seeing buildings collapse on people what if we see their lungs stop to work from sarin gas what's it going to take for more movement on this i don't know steve you know it's kind of heartening the american people are motivated by this they believe we're doing the right thing and we in fact we should be doing more usually in situations like this there's this big push in our country and i understand it through history they're like that's not our problem I think people see what's going on in the Ukraine, and, and they are really – and I see it go across party lines, too. They, they care about what happens there. Across party lines and really around the world, as you've mentioned before, this has done everything Putin didn't want to happen. It's united NATO and united the world, and it's really knocked Russia out of the box no matter what happens from here on in for decades to come as a country to deal with. It's really set, set them back decades as far as their progress in relations with the West. Russia's not going to be the same as a partner for anybody after this. They are going to be radioactive. So inside what's happening in, with Vladimir Putin, you never quite know. I get it. Uh, we overestimated them, underestimated Ukraine, and that, that includes our intelligence services, which are supposed to be able to get this right or at least get closer. So now we understand his head of military operations has not been seen in 11 days. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Shoigu? The defense yeah. minister. So he was missing. He just showed up. We didn't hear any audio on what, what is akin to a conference call. And this Garasimo, who's their military yeah. sta- uh, uh, chief of staff, he's been invisible. So we know there's been an arrest of the of uh, two of his intelligence, at least two of his intelligence officers. And I'm wondering, what do you think? What does that mean to you for somebody who used to live there? Yeah. Well, when I used to live there, this guy who's the defense minister, Sergei Shoigu was a minister back then as well. He ran like the FEMA, emergency operations. So he's been a survivor and, and a hanger-on, not really a general, but someone trusted. You know, they said he has heart trouble. It's pretty common in Russia to claim, you know, a heart trouble to get out of court or to get out of things when the job 
is going south, but it really makes you think back to Stalin days when people disappear, when you do a bad job and suddenly you're not there anymore. If that is the case here, it's shown how little has changed, you know, since 1930s Soviet Union. And you just got to get clues. You know, you don't even see shots of a Politburo when we used to with Brezhnev, <laughs> yeah. right? You don't even pretend as if there's other people. You go, wait, maybe the guy on the left is the next one to take over. All you yeah, ever see is Putin. Yeah, you're going to be – people are going to be airbrushed out of photos soon. But, oh, man, I, I don't think Putin's all that complicated. Everyone's been, been trying to figure him out. He's not going to stop. He's like, uh, you know, the, the monster in the Terminator who's just going to keep on coming. And I feel like either we need the, you know, the kid's mother who's screaming they're coming or some Churchillian figure who says, hey, this guy's not going to stop. You know, Ukrainians are dying for us today, but we're getting a free pass. We gave a billion dollars in recent humanitarian aid. We've given a lot of military aid. You know, we're not going to be able to avoid this forever. Listen, I hear you, and that's what Zelensky's done, and, and I think that we both agree on this. Zelensky has gotten momentum behind him and the people with him by talking past their governments to the people by doing these public addresses and putting pressure on the lawmakers to, to support him. So from Japan to Italy to Canada to, uh, to uh, Canada, as I mentioned, Canada, the U.K., uh, he's addressed just to Israel, the Knesset. He's, he's won past the government to the people by addressing the government, and he made Germany and others take notice pretty amazing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. But it leads me to this, Steve. Who is Vladimir uh, Who is uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, which is Sunday at 10 o'clock? Will you be watching on, on Fox News? You know, not only will I be watching, and it's amazing, and I, I really hope you dig into this, because so much is given to, you know, presidential image making. And here's a guy who just walks out in a T-shirt in front of his building and stands in front of an iPhone and says, here I am. This is what's happening. Just the simple bravery. Not only will I be watching, but I'll be wondering how a guy who does three hours of Fox and Friends in the morning, then three hours of radio, and then a weekend show is also doing specials. I hope they're paying you, brother. <laughs> it's not about the money. It's about the experience. <laughs> I'm just getting go. a lot of experience building up the resume. Yeah. All right, Steve. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Brian. Thanks again. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't think Russia is at the table um, in a legitimate or honest way. I think they are looking for ways to get around the sanctions against them. And I think they're looking for ways to have a market for their oil. And I think we have to be very careful in not negotiating against ourselves, especially with what Russia is doing with Ukraine. So I think any negotiations with regard to an Iran deal will be quite difficult to accomplish in the near term. And that is a Democratic senator, Gillibrand. But will she stand up uh, and vote against it? Because in, in this inverse world, and I think uh, Bob Corker did this before he left in Tennessee. He said, instead of having 60 votes to verify, how about we do 60 votes to nullify? 
and therefore they got to 58. Schumer got a chance with his with his uh, Jewish constituency in New York. Ben Cardin, because he's been doing it for 50 years, knew what a bad nuclear deal this was. And Menendez understands international relations pretty well, didn't go along with it. But would would you have enough defections on the left to look for self-preservations, not to vote for Iranian deal, that could very well have them ousted from their position? That's going to be key. This Iranian deal would include this. Get this, and I try to follow it. The rumors is that Russia will be in charge of it. They will handle the enriched uranium and pull it out of Iran so they can't make a weapon. All right. And if a Republican or a Democrat walks in and wants to be president, says, I hate this Iran deal, I'm out of it, the Russians will bring back the enriched uranium and give it to the Iranians. Is that unbelievable? We're cutting a deal against another party with an enemy pariah nation. Think about that. Make sure you watch One Nation, Saturday, 8 o'clock. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.